Squash Edition. Love you guys. Come on, give it up for the men and women of Chesterfield County Jail. Heart, love you all. Love you all. Hey, high five somebody and tell them you look good. Come on. High five somebody and tell them you look good and you can be seated. Wow, what a great day to be in church. And uh, we're in a series called By Your Spirit. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. But looking in the back of the room, good morning to everybody online. Uh, man, we love our chapel online family. And uh, you're ever a bit a part of our church, like those in the room. And, and so we're honored that you're here. But I had this thought during worship the last couple of weeks that if, you've, uh, if you're watching online for medical reasons, we totally get it. But if you just kind of got out of the habit of being here in person, I promise you there's nothing like being in one of the rooms. I mean, there just is. And these people are amazing looking, so you're going to want to be here. Uh, come on, Chapel, tell them we'd love to see them in person sometime. And so, so excited about what God's doing, life of our church. Here a little bit earlier, all God did at Freedom Conference and all he's doing in small groups and launching a bunch of new groups coming up. And so, so exciting to see all that God's doing in the life of our church. And we love you. And we uh, can't believe all that we get to be a part of at God's hand on the life of the chapel. And really, I'm telling you, it's, it's not about, it's not about uh, uh, music or preaching. or It's about you. The reason the chapel is great is because of you. People who love Jesus, love one another, committed to prayer, committed to community, committed to generosity, committed to sharing their faith. And so uh, if I haven't told you lately, I love you. You're, you're the easiest church to pastor. I got to I go to like pastor's gatherings and all the pastors are like, aren't, aren't our churches terrible? And I'm just like, sure, you know. Uh, I'm like, I don't know what to do. My people are nice. They're, they're wonderful. Like they're, they're not mean and they love Jesus and they respond. So I just want to say you're, you're the great, you're, you're the, hey, there's nothing that Katie and I would rather do than give our life in this city among the amazing people at the chapel. We love you. Honestly, the joy of our hearts, joy of our lives. <laughs> Have you ever gotten a bad gift? <laughs> They were gotten a bad gift. I, I didn't realize this was dysfunctional until Katie and I started dating. But um, when I was a kid, when my parents would give us a gift, they would ask us if we liked it. And it was fine for them, for us to just say, no, we don't like it. Like, that wasn't weird. And so they would give us a gift and they'd say, do you like it? And then my mom would be like, she would always say, I kept the receipt, you know. So she'd say, do you like it? I kept the receipt. And I, so I could just say, no, I don't like it. So Katie and I started dating. I remember she gave me my first gift and I was like, did you keep the receipt? Because I don't really like this. And, and all of a sudden she got really quiet. And I was like, well, if you didn't keep the receipt, it's fine. We could give it to Goodwill or something. And uh, she was really upset. And I said, what are you upset about? She said, you're not supposed to do that. And I said, what do you mean? I'm not supposed to do that. I don't like it. And she's like, you're not supposed to. I said, you just want me to just pretend I like this? And she's like, yeah. And I said, that's psychotic. And uh, I said, no, you're psychotic. And so, come on, somebody. We went to freedom. And uh, that's how we worked that out. And, uh, but, you know, um, uh, I'll never forget. My mom, one Christmas, got me these slippers. And uh, they, were, they were terrible. They were like turquoise and pink. And so she said, do you like them? And I said, no, I don't like them. And so I didn't really think anything of it. A week later, Katie and I had been dating about a year. And I was having dinner at her parents' house. And, and Katie's dad, you know, I'm trying to impress them. The, the guy she's dating um, is a good guy. And so he said, hey, we, we heard your parents got you a bad pair of slippers. And so we... We decided we'd get you a good pair of slippers. And so he hands me a box. And 
So I unwrap it and I pull back the top and I stare at the identical pair of slippers that my mom's given me. And I have this moment of just like not sure what to do. And I, I, everything in me said, just lie. And, uh, but I thought, you know, Katie saw the other parents, so I'm willing to lie, uh, but she'll, I don't know what to do. And so my father-in-law, her dad, my future father-in-law said to me, how do you feel? And I said, I'm just confused. And he, he just started laughing. And I said, what's funny? And he said, I totally got those slippers from your parents. And I just want to rewrap them and see, see if you'd lie. Come on, somebody, I passed that test by about this much. I'm telling you, it almost went down bad. And uh, I think we've probably all gotten a gift we don't like, right? Probably. You don't have to just, I mean, you could tell the person next to you, remember that time you got me? No, don't do that. Uh, you know, all of us probably know what it's like to get a gift we love and maybe a gift we don't like. And, and I got to think about the Holy Spirit because the Bible describes him as a, as a gift. And, and in fact, I want you to see Jesus' words when he says, if you moms and dads, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And here's what the Bible's saying, that if us imperfect moms and dads give our kids gifts that we, from our heart, that are good. That I love those words, how much more, you know? How much more would God give us a gift? And the gift he's given us is the Holy Spirit. And, but you know, I was thinking this week that some of us kind of look at the Holy Spirit like those slippers. Like it's a gift I don't quite want to open, you know? I don't know how to open it. And maybe I don't know how to use it. And I don't know how to work it. And I don't know what it's all about or heard about it. And so, so we live with apprehension and uncertainty, not, um, not fully ready and able to open up the gift God has for us. And I, I just wondered in this series in the month of May, here, here's kind of our goal to just help us open up the wonderful gift that God has for us which is the power of God, the, the strength of God, the empowering presence of God, the Holy Spirit on the inside of us and upon us and overflowing our life and the borders and boundaries of our life to bring a, to a, to a transformation, change, impact to our life. I want us to all, here, here's, my, here's what I'm jealous for our church. I want every one of us to open up the gift God has for us, the person of the Holy Spirit and all that a life in the Spirit has for us because there is more and I'm just so convinced there's so many Christians kind of with the gift over there I don't know I don't quite know what to do with it and I just, we're, we're trying to just this month put that gift right in the center of our lives and open it anybody want the more that God has for you come on come on Scott's edition anybody want the more like I want to open up everything God has for us and that's what this series is all about the Holy Spirit and so I want us to look at one of the um passages that can be a little bit confusing in the Bible. And it's, it's recorded in two places, Matthew 3 and Luke 3. And it's at the very start of Jesus' ministry. He's just about, just before he begins his ministry, he has this experience of being baptized and, and the Holy Spirit comes on him. And we're gonna explain it and do a little bit of teaching. And I think it'll help us uh, this weekend learn what the Holy Spirit has for us. The Bible says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. Look at this. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, look at these words. This is my son whom I love. 
With him I'm well pleased. I love those words. This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Come on, let's just read those out loud together. That last phrase that God the Father speaks over the son. Scott's edition, Midlothian, all together. Ready? Come on, with our Baptist reading voices. Here we go, ready? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And this is a passage that we struggle with a little bit because Jesus is being baptized. And let me just explain to you, this is one of the reasons we do baptism the way we do because it says when Jesus came up out of the water. And, and yet, how many know Jesus didn't have to get baptized uh, as a confession of faith for the forgiveness of sins? Because I can change the sermon if we don't know that one. But I think it's important that we agree around here that Jesus was the sinless son of God, okay? So let's take a church vote here today, okay? All in favor that Jesus is pretty amazing, the sinless son of God, say amen. All right, so he, he didn't get baptized because he was trying to figure out his spiritual life. He, he got baptized because it was a way, in fact, Matthew 3 says of fulfilling all righteousness, that he literally was, was baptized. And in this moment, we learn some incredible principles, some gifts that God wants to open in our life. And here's what the Bible tells us, that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. So Jesus traveled uh, about um, 60 miles to the Jordan by foot to be baptized by John. And we'll see, we'll see in a second that John felt overwhelmed by this. But let me give you this weekend, if you just write these three things down, three gifts, just three gifts the Holy Spirit gives us, that God gives us through the power of his spirit. And I hope all of us receive all three of these gifts because I'm telling you, they can make a huge difference in our lives. And the first gift that the Holy Spirit gives us, man, we need this, the gift of a right relationship with God. How many know we're born um, separated from God in relationship? Do you know that? In fact, how many know we're born sinful? The only people who don't know that haven't had kids yet, okay? How many know you have a toddler, you know about sin nature, original sin? People say, are you sure original sin? I say, you got a two-year-old? You don't have to teach him the word mine. You don't have to teach him selfishness. I'm, I've never been in the little play area of the kids' church, and they say, no, you first. No, you first. No, I insist. You first. You know? How many know they're just swinging at each other? How many know they'd be in prison? They're just not strong enough. I mean, I'm telling you, like... Uh, uh, and yet, and yet so, that, so we're sinful, but the Bible tells us that God's made us in a right relationship with God. Let me show you how I got this. Jesus comes to be baptized by John. And you can imagine John the Baptist. He's like, no way am I going to try to baptize Jesus. In fact, the Bible says John tried to deter him because he recognized he wasn't worthy to baptize Jesus. He also didn't know why Jesus had to be baptized. Matthew will tell us in, earlier in those verses that it was to fulfill all righteousness. And, and Jesus is 30 years old at this time. Okay, of his ministry, and he is at a place in ministry where God's about to, to launch him into public ministry. Okay, so he's living, he's lived 30 years um, perfectly, but he's about to enter into a time of ministry. And the first thing he does is he's baptized, and the Bible tells us the Spirit of God comes on him. And, and the way that the, the metaphor, the image they see, this kind of super spiritual moment is that the Spirit of God comes on Jesus like a dove and alights on him. And, and the first century reader would have immediately seen something that you and I would not have seen in this metaphor of a dove. 
You see, in the ancient world, in, in Palestine, in the Old Testament, when you came to worship in the temple, you had to bring a sacrifice, okay? So a sheep or a, or, or a pigeon, you had, to bring, you had to bring an actual blood sacrifice. How many are grateful that you don't live in that day, right? Like your kids are like, Dad, what are you doing with lammy? And you're like, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Like, like, what are you going to do? No, no, son, we're going to kill him in the foyer, you know. But, but here is the point. In the ancient world, in order to, to cover sin, blood had to be shed. And how many are grateful that because of Jesus Christ's blood on the cross once for all? We don't have to do that anymore. And yet, and yet in the ancient world, if you were, it, it, there were different kinds of sacrifice depending on the resources you had. So it was equal, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. And so if you had more resources in the ancient world, you'd bring a sheep. In fact, the Bible says you'd bring one without blemish. So you found one of the, you found the best you had and you sacrificed it. But if you weren't, weren't wealthy and didn't have those kind of resources, there was a, a way for you to bring a sacrifice. I'll just show you one of the verses, Leviticus. If you can't afford to bring a sheep, you may bring to the Lord two turtle doves as penalty for your sin. So if you couldn't afford a sheep to sacrifice um, in, to get into worship, you could, you could bring a dove to sacrifice in worship. And this was a way of uh, God making. How many know God's created a way for all kinds of people to get to him? And so I want you to see this. When Jesus is um, being baptized and he's coming up out of the water and the Bible says a dove is coming down on him, here's what the people would have understood. He has come to make a way so that both the rich and the poor might have relationship with him. I'm here to remind you today that God has made a way for rich and poor, up and down, front and forward, men, women, boys, girls. How many know he is a savior of all people, the little and the lot? And let me just say one thing. Not only do you need salvation if you're rich, you need salvation if you're poor. How many know all of us need a relationship with God? And when Jesus has this dove coming on him, it would have spoke to the people. This is a savior of all people. In fact, even of the common people. And I, I love that. I love that we have a Jesus who reaches down to the, to the whosoever's, don't you? To the everyone's, to the, to the wherever we're at. And the first thing we learn through Jesus' baptism is he's come to be a savior of all people. And you know, that's the gift I want to just remind us all. We can open the gift of a right relationship with God. You know, we can have a right relationship with God. In fact, maybe just write this down. I love this. That on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had lived our life so that now he can treat us in Christ as if we had lived his life. So catch this. On the cross, God treats Jesus as if he had lived the sinful life of Brandon so that now he can treat, treat Brandon as if he had lived the sinless life of Jesus. Is that not a miracle? It's called imputation that all of my sin was passed on to Jesus. All of his righteousness was passed on to me. And so maybe you're here this weekend and you have a merit-based idea of God. Because that's how all of life works, merit-based, right? You only get paid for work when you go to work, right? You get the grade you deserve. I mean, all of life is built on merit. But how many know our relationship with God is not built on merit? We are saved by grace, through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Do I have any people this weekend that are thankful it's not our own righteousness that gets us to God, but it's his, uh, his 
limitless grace and mercy. If you're here this weekend, you don't know that message. We're just trying to remind us all. In fact, not only to preach to those who don't know it, but those of us that do know it, to be reminded over and over again. It's not our righteous deeds that get us in relationship with God. It's Jesus Christ's death upon the cross. Hey, we're forgiven people because of what he did for us. He's given his life for us. And Jesus comes up out of that water and we learn that he's a sacrifice for sins, the gift of a right relationship with God. Look at this, I love this. Not only does he give us a right relationship with God, but then he gives us the, the strength to live out our faith. He, gives, he not only deals with our sin, he empowers us to live a different way. And I want you to see this. Jesus is baptized at the very moment he's about to begin his relationship or his um, ministry. And at that moment, as he's going to begin his public ministry, he's 30 years of age. By the way, up until 30, he was, we have very few verses in the Bible about any of Jesus' life. He was tucked away in obscurity. Aren't you glad that God still works even in obscurity? Maybe you're here this week and you say, I feel tucked away in obscurity. God, how many know God never wastes moments, right? He's preparing. And, and he prepares Jesus. And then Jesus says, three, 30 years of prep, three years of public ministry. Before he does that, God pours out his spirit. In fact, Acts is really clear that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of evil because God was with him. So here's kind of the point I was thinking of making this weekend. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to do ministry, uh, we do. Can I get a, a witness today, right? Like, I mean, if Jesus paused before he went out and tried to change the world and put on the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more do you and I? How many know we're not Jesus? I could preach a different sermon about that, right? Come on, just turn to the person next to you and tell them you are no Jesus. Come on, tell them that. Come on, Scott's edition. Turn to the other person next to you and say you either. Come on, tell them that. Yet Jesus needed God's empowering grace and strength to, to make a difference in the world. Came across uh, this uh, story that in Death Valley, California, it's the hottest, um, driest place in America. Literally nothing grows there. Nothing lives there. Most dry, arid terrain in the country. Hence the name Death Valley. <laughs> But in the winter of 2004, seven inches of rain fell in Death Valley, California. And they initially didn't see anything there, but four months later, in the spring of 2005, something happened in Death Valley, uh, California, that shocked everyone. And that was what, what they call a, a super bloom, okay? And what happened was, at this, this place of death and dirt, literally, what they didn't realize is that Death Valley wasn't really dead. It was dormant. And that underneath the soil, there were seeds under there. And the potential was already there under the soil. Seeds of potential right below the surface. And all they needed to do was create, have the right atmosphere created to cause a super bloom. And when I heard about that, I actually thought, that's exactly what so many Christians' lives are like. 
Literally, just, just looking at him feeling powerless and weak and unable. Yes, Jesus has dealt with our sin, but not really realizing the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them, not creating the right circumstances and environments around them to pull out the life of God in them. And that's my prayer for us in this season. That we would, here's my prayer for this series in the month of May, that we just create the right environment. For so many of us that have the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, but we've suppressed it, the seeds of potential, they're not dead, they're just dormant in our life. And maybe God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, his wind would blow on it, his rain would fall on it, and God would cause some life to bloom in our lives, in our marriages, in our home, that God would do such a thing in our church that our church would be changed forever, right? And God would do something in your life. And maybe we've underestimated the power of God on the inside of us. I just got to tell you, I meet too many Christians that are just making it through life. How you doing? Oh, pastor, I'm just, uh, I'm trying, I'm enduring, I'm just surviving. I just want to say this. God did not send his son to die on the cross and fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit to just survive. He sent us to live lives that are overcoming and victorious. He's, he's caught, he wants to create an environment where the seeds of the potential of the life of God can bloom in our life and become, and become all that he wants us to be. Here's what he literally says, that God, God can cause us to live in the path of life and in his presence is fullness of joy. This is a phrase we've been using, presence, a little bit as a team as we pray about the future of our church, presence, presence. <laughs> like just God's presence here with us. I mean, I don't know about you. There are moments I look at our world right now and I feel overwhelmed as a pastor. Like, how do we make a difference in our community? How do we see some change in, 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 in what's going on in our culture? And it's made me just hungry for more than just the best we can do. It's made me hungry for God to show up and help us, right? We want to be a church that has the presence of God. Anybody? Yeah. In fact, we, we, listen, we're grateful for, for, for some of the things. We're gr- Hopefully on the weekends our coffee tastes good and the, the message is good and the band sounds good and the kids' ministry is good. But on top of all that, listen, listen, what we really need is kind of this unexplained, intangible of just like, whoa, God, I went into that, I went into that place in Scott's edition. I went into that place in Midlothian. I turned on the, the it wasn't just the music or the talk or the coffee. It, it just, it felt like God, it felt like, God was there with those people. It felt like God's presence was there with God's people, right? It's, it's an intangible, it's a sense of God's presence. And that's what we want in our church. We want to meet with God. Anybody want to meet with God, right? Anybody have problems in our life, in our world? They're bigger than our own ability to scheme or solve them. But oh, to be in a church that loves the presence of God, Right? And when Jesus, before he begins any bit of his ministry, he literally just waits and God pours out his power and grace and strength. And then God the Father speaks some things over Jesus. It's really remarkable. I want you to see it. He literally says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You know, this is one of two times God the Father will say this of his son, okay? He'll say it also at the transfiguration. This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. In fact, this word, whom I love, is the Greek word literally just meaning my beloved, okay? It's as if God looked down on his son and just calls him his beloved. Every parent knows this experience, don't you? My beloved, right? Remember my firstborn child, Hallie, 
14 hour labor, it was tough on me. And uh, I shouldn't say this, I don't know if I should. They had to use the, what do you, what do you call the large salad tongs? Yeah, uh, what do you call them, clamps? Forceps, that's what they are. They had to go get, I said, what, what are those? What are we doing? I'm not hungry, you know, and uh, they, had, you know, they had to help her along. Those of you about to give birth, it's a beautiful thing people say. Well, I was there, and uh, it didn't seem that beautiful to me. And uh, but I remember they got these forceps and they got a hold of her head and they kind of helped her out. And I said to the, to the nurse, our doctor, our doctor that was there, I said to her, "Should you do that? Is that natural?" And she said, "Do you want natural?" She said, "Nature isn't nice. I'm going to help." things out. And I said, yes, ma'am, let's do it. <laughs> and she pulled that baby out, my little girl, and it had two little marks on her face where the, where the, the forceps had helped her. And, and it, she'd been in surgery so long, her head, I mean, her head was just running away from her face. It was so cone shaped. I said, is this right? I, this can't be right. The face, the head. I said, is that normal? The doctor didn't seem troubled. But I gotta tell you something, in that moment, this wasn't a beauty, that, that was a baby that had been through a battle. <laughs> so put a hat on her. And then, and then, once we got the hat on her, you know, it wouldn't fit, but we got a men's seven and three quarters. And uh, I held her, and I'm telling you, there's nothing like in that moment holding a child. Love and affection. And care. The father looks at the son in Jesus' baptism and says, This is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Here's the third gift that I long for every one of us to grab a hold of this weekend. It's just simply the gift of a secure identity. In fact, I want you to see this. The father approves of Jesus. I want you to see this. This is amazing to me. At the start of Jesus' ministry, his father approves of him, not the end of his ministry. He doesn't wait till the end and said, you did good, son, and then affirm him at the beginning because of relationship, he affirms him. And some of us have lived too long thinking that God's approval, love, security, or his affection for us is dependent upon our performance and it's merit-based. And I'm here to remind us this weekend that we can have a secure identity because of Jesus' death on the cross. The father looks at us and says, that's my son, that's my daughter, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. You say, how does he know? he's pleased with me yeah, well, because it's not based upon how pleasing we are it's based upon the relationship from father to son and daughter fully accepted fully forgiven you say pastor that can't be true oh it is true fully forgiven fully accepted fully fully received into the family of God and before Jesus can teach a parable or perform a miracle or do anything to win the approval, the performance of his father, he receives acceptance. And God, I feel like God just pressed it on my heart this weekend to remind you, if you are a child of God, if you've given your life to Jesus, you're accepted without one more thing having to be done. You're accepted. You're completely accepted. This is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. Here's what I think God the Father gives Jesus, acceptance and affection and affirmation. And this is the same phrase the father speaks of the son. In fact, two of the three times we see the father speaking to the son, the only times we're actually given a window into what the Trinity is saying to one another, it's God the father affirming of the son. This is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. It's forgiveness, it's security, it's acceptance.
How many know when I go to my son's basketball game, whether or not he's the best player on the court, I've got one favorite player on the court. I'm watching one kid all over the court, up and down, up and down, up and down. Why? Because that's my son. You say, well, he's not the best player on the court. Well, how many know to me he is, right? Because that's my son, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. We had a family um, at our church that we served in Binghamton who, uh, family had two girls, uh, one biological daughter and one, um, one adopted daughter. And the mother tells a story of one day the girls were getting into a real argument, the two daughters. And <clears throat> the one daughter got nasty in that moment and she said, well, you're not even a real daughter of mom and dad. Like I'm a real daughter, you're adopted, she says. And the mom said, I heard that story and immediately cut her off. And I said, hold on, sweetie. Um, uh, we chose your sister. We didn't have a choice with you. So don't you ever say that again. I'm here to remind you today. Galatians chapter four says, we're chosen by God. Come on, somebody. Chosen by God. Love, accepted, redeemed. <laughs> And some of us are walking around trying to, trying, to, trying to do enough to earn the affection and approval of our Father. And I'm just here to remind you, God has done it all on the cross. Don't, us dare, don't we dare insult what he's done on the cross to assume that I can add my little bit of effort and now he's going to be pleased with me. No, because of Jesus Christ, death and resurrection, I'm accepted. I'm his son, beloved, in whom he's well pleased. You're his son, his daughter, in whom he's well pleased. We ought to live out of security. We ought to live out of that identity. We ought, to, we ought not limp around. And Galatians actually says, Paul corrects the people. And he says, some of you are still living as slaves rather than sons. A slave tries to please the master and, and, and execute the transaction. But a son and a daughter is more than that. All the debts and obligations, the Bible says, of the adopted children are canceled. And full rights of sonship are there. We're sons, we're daughters. I, I just, I, I pray there'd be more believers who would know who we are in Jesus Christ. In fact, you know, the whole book, most of Paul's New Testament letters, the first half is just reminding us all that Jesus has done for us and all of our identity. And then about halfway through the books, he'll say, therefore, live different. But I'm convinced you can't live different unless you understand that you are different. And some of us need to take the lenses of our own merit-based self-righteousness off and see ourselves as God sees us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Secure, adopted, sons and daughters. There's nothing I can add to my salvation, nothing I can contribute to it, nothing that I can do to make God love me anymore, nothing I can do to make God love me any less. I'm securely held in the grip of his grace, right? And because of that, I'm living my faith out, not out of duty to try to please the Lord. No, no, no. I'm living my life out of a delight that I've been accepted and forgiven and redeemed and awakened. Let me tell you when this happened for me. This didn't happen for me till I was a freshman in Bible college. You see, in, I grew up in church. I was a church kid and, and yet... I, was, I feel like some of the strains of religion were on me and I was sitting in a class called Romans Galatians studying to be a pastor. And I was in Romans chapter three and I read this doctrine that on the cross, God had fully satisfied the anger of God and there was no anger towards God 
from God towards me anymore that had fully been forgiven because of Jesus' death. And I literally walked out of a Bible college class as a freshman in Bible college. My, my first time, I think my eyes really saw grace. And I stood there and realized I had kept living my life to earn the approval of a father. And I'm here, and I stood in the lobby uh, out in Barrington, Rhode Island, and I said, oh God, I can't believe that you're not angry with me. I can't believe that you've forgiven me. Forgive me for all the ways I tried to make you love me more. How many know we're fully forgiven by God? Right? And I, I'm convinced, I know, I know even when you say the word father, some of you had a great father. And let, let's be honest, some of you did not. And even the best earthly father came up short, right? So you hear that word father, you hear that word approval, and you don't, you, you almost like you, you balk in your spirit, you pause, you hesitate in your spirit. And I'm here to just remind you, we have a good, good father, okay? He has never disappointed his children, and you can trust in him. I had a dad who believed in me. My dad had some shortcomings. My dad went to be with Jesus last year, but my dad believed in me. At every soccer game, basketball game, he was hollering in the stands. I mean, hollering too loud, you could hear his voice. He was that guy. In fact, he and my mom four years ago retired to, to Richmond and they started attending the chapel and he'd sit right back over there as he was getting sick in his older years in a wheelchair and he would amen me too loud. In fact, I'd hear, hallelujah, that's good preaching. And I finally said, dad, I'm so thankful you're in our church and I love you and I feel affirmed by you, but you're, you're, you can't do this. I'm gonna have the ushers wheel you right out of here if you keep this up. But I know one thing, there was a guy sitting in the back of the room who believed in his son. I'm here to tell you that there are some of us, I think, that are living under maybe a different situation. You're wondering, is it really so? God the Father looked at God the Son and gave him acceptance, affirmation, Love, security, and God doesn't want followers of his striving to be secure. <laughs> He's made us sons and daughters. Anybody thankful you're a son and a daughter of God? Thankful to be a son now. Do you buy your heads with me all over this room? I'm going to pray for us in just a second. Then I'm going to turn Scott's edition over to the team there, Pastor Jason and the team. You're here this weekend and maybe you don't have a relationship with God or maybe you've wandered away from it. Maybe this weekend is a chance for you to, to come back home or maybe to begin a relationship with God. You say, Pastor, I can't even believe that it's not based upon my own good works, that it's based upon grace. Today, I want to receive that gift of life. I want to come back home. I want, I want to have a right relationship with God because of Jesus. I'm not going to drag it out. I won't embarrass you. I won't ask you to get out of your seat. I'm not going to do the long preacher altar call. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to ask you to be bold enough to raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me this weekend? I need to give my life and my heart right with God. And I won't embarrass you, but I'd love to pray for you. Nobody's looking around. Our heads are by. Just hands up all over this room. Yes, yes. Are there others? Yes, yes, yes. Are there others? Anybody else who said, Pastor, pray for me this weekend? Yep. Thank you so much up front. Yeah, thank you in the back. Thank you over here. Yep. Anybody else? Yeah, thank you in the back. I see that. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain where I'm at. Online, Scott's edition. Right where you're seated. You just say, God, I know I'm not perfect. But I know Jesus is. And I'm so grateful that you'd send your son to love me and die for me. So this morning, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. God, would you save me? Would you transform me? 
be my Lord and Savior of my life. And today I'm committing to follow you all the days of my life. I'm giving up control. I'm following you. I receive your forgiveness. I receive the kind love of God. I receive the invitation to become your son, your daughter. So would today be a changing day in my life? For we pray it in Jesus' name.